Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes, uh, roaming the halls of Washington, D.C. And Steve, President Obama is being forced to deal with a lot of military issues, some because of scandal and some because of foreign policy. And he had a major speech today at West Point, building on his announcement yesterday about the troop drawdown in Afghanistan. He did. It was a bit of a meandering speech. I mean, there was very little sort of uh, really rationale or coherence to the speech, which I suppose one could argue is uh, representative of his foreign <laughs> policy more broadly. Look, it was an effort, I think, by the by the president to retroactively impose some doctrine on what has been sort of inconsistent, ad hoc decision making over the past uh, five and a half years of foreign policy, national security policy making. And the uh, Obama doctrine would be what? Well, I think we don't know at this point. I mean, basically, the speech was filled with a, a bunch of you know platitudes, straw men, uh, attempts to place himself in between two extremes, which we know he's done on virtually every issue. You know, he says on the one hand, the the realists uh, say this; on the other hand, the interventionists say this, and the interventionists want to intervene everywhere all the time, and they always want to use military force. And you know, it was really sort of a I thought a, a cheap representation of of the people who have sincere policy disagreements with the president in an effort to make himself look good and to prop up what is has been i think a pretty clearly a a, a long history of foreign policy failures the part that jumped out at me was when he said that the international community the un nato the imf must step up and change the world for the better well of course as evidenced by the last what, 50 years? <laughs> they don't have to step up. They can leave tyrants in power. They can leave uh, you know, chemical weapons in play. They can refuse to act in Ukraine, Syria, and right. before that, Iraq. So did the president give any hint about what the American policy would be when the international community, by some power that I understand, Steve, somehow defies President Obama's <laughs> will and doesn't step up to make the world good? You know, he he really didn't. I mean, well, well, I thought that was a very interesting part of his speech, and, and there was another part that's sort of related, in which he pointed to the, the you know, call for the for additional multilateralism, talked about the importance of international organizations, and then pointed uh, to examples of success of multilateral efforts, U.S.-led diplomacy on Ukraine and Iran, and you know, the president he. He caveated that we don't know exactly what the final outcomes of these will be, but he said we could be on the verge of a breakthrough, his word, breakthrough, in uh, negotiations with Iran. And he talked about the success of multilateralism in the context of Russia, isolating Russia and and allowing Ukrainians an opportunity to choose their future. Look, I mean, if if you want to point to uh, successes of multilateral efforts, there are some to point to in the not-too-distant uh, past. But Ukraine and Iran are not, the, <laughs> are not the ones. I mean, Ukraine has been a disaster. I mean, take take a poll of, of uh, Ukrainians living in Crimea and see what they think about the U.S.-led uh, multilateral efforts. Right. I think, you know, in all seriousness, I think that that's a comment that you can only make if you believe that diplomacy, the process of diplomacy, is an end in and of itself. Because we don't know the outcomes of those. Right. The president admitted this. So how can you point to those multilateral efforts as positive and successful unless you believe that just the mere fact of talking 
is is a win. And I think that's what this president believes. Uh, of course, when the talking fails, we have to send soldiers and military members into harm's way. They come back hurt, injured, or needing care. They turn to the VA system, and it's been a fiasco. And I was every day I keep thinking, Steve, we're going to hit the bottom of this, but we haven't. We now find out that the person who took over for uh, Mr. Uh, Pertzel, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, it was overseeing the Illinois VA, which is, according to their own metrics, one of the worst, if not the worst, in the country and is under investigation right now. And you think to yourself, this is the idea of reform, taking someone who's already failed and, and giving them a promotion? This is the problem with the VA. It is, it is a rotten bureaucracy. And what's happened throughout the system, again, this is something that's not new. It's something that's been documented by the General Accounting Office, by congressional investigations, by outside groups again and again and again. What's happened is that people are promoted up. And often they're promoted in order to get them out of a bad situation that they helped create, such as uh, is the case in the Illinois VA. This has happened again and again and again. You know, one one uh, analysis of the VA's uh, internal, meeting its internal uh, benchmarks, its internal measurements over the past year uh, suggested that the VA met 57% of those. I mean, that is an incredible record of failure, and yet you see nobody fired. None of the top VA officials have been cashiered. Uh, Mr. Pretzel, who was going to be leaving anyway, uh, they sort of hastened his departure, but this was somebody who had his, his retirement announced, so right. it doesn't even count as, as a firing if you want to talk about accountability. And then you have uh, the Illinois VA failing virtually all of its metrics and yet giving out millions of dollars in bonuses, which we've also learned. And you think to yourself, when will the political pressure reach the point where the usual Washington bureaucratic and you know CYA relationship that Democrats and Republicans tend to have on in Washington will finally crack? And I've been taken aback, Steve, by how far this is drifting towards the usual partisan conversation. Yet again, Bernie Sanders and others saying, oh, this is about ideology and the view of government. Meanwhile, veterans are actually going without care. Yeah, it shouldn't be about ideology. I think in an interesting way, and we've seen this uh, sort of explode over the past couple of days, this is about Washington versus outside of Washington in many respects. I and mean, you had Richard Burns, the ranking Republican on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, uh, make some rather, uh, I thought, rather moderate critiques of some veteran service organizations suggesting that they uh, are, are too involved with the current VA leadership to call right. for the resignation of, of Eric Shinseki and to, to, uh, to call for real reform. And you have this letter that these, uh, some of these VSOs sent in response, which is this biting, caustic letter suggesting that Burr doesn't care at all about veterans, that he cares only about politics. And in reality, Richard Burr was right. A lot of what we've seen is people in Washington, the leadership of some of those organizations, refusing to do what I think most rank-and-file veterans around the country would have them do in the face of such colossal failures and 
horrendous mismanagement, which is called for accountability at the very top of these organizations. And what's been interesting to me is I've talked to, you know, I've listened to people like Pete Hegseth with Concerned Vets. Uh, I talked to John Warden with a group called Ride to Recovery. On Monday, I did a bike ride with, with that group. And these guys say enough is enough. You know, this old cozy relationship between some of these veteran service organizations and the Obama administration and the powers that be, the establishment in Washington, means that our veterans, the, the soldiers who have fought, right. particularly those who have fought in, in the past uh, decade, are not getting the care they need. And that kind of coziness needs to end. And I give them credit for stepping up and, and demanding reform, even when you're going to have that kind of backlash from the entrenched powers at these other veteran service organizations. Uh, the last part of the VA scandal that fascinates me the most, Steve, is that there is a solution Im- available for implementation today that would guarantee every veteran gets medical care now and when they need it, and they won't have to wait four months for their test results, which we've seen in in several cases. And that is to give each one of them the ability, a voucher or whatever, to get private insurance today. And I get a sense that the reason why there's such opposition to this in Washington is the fear that it will work. And the veterans will start asking, well, why am I having to go to the VA in the first place? Why can't I just go to any doctor I want and have as part of my service be that someone picks up my health care premiums? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And look, that is once again a battle between those who want real reform and those who are part of this sort of entrenched bureaucracy in Washington, both inside the VA and those who protect the VA. And that's precisely the kind of argument that you would expect them to make. And I think that's exactly why we're seeing them make that argument. I mean, there are alternatives to that idea, too. If you don't want to say, uh, allow these veterans who are on the waiting list whose disability claims haven't been processed to go to you know any private hospital with a voucher or whatever, send them to additional military facilities. We have military hospitals that are not yet at capacity that could serve some of these veterans and you know have experience in working with the kinds of problems that many of these veterans are are experiencing now. Open those up. Uh, you would certainly shorten wait times. It's it's another solution. Everybody knows the solutions to these problems. Everybody understands what the problems are. Virtually everybody understands what the solutions could be, and yet you still have these entrenched powers in Washington fighting that because they just don't want reform. Steve Hayes with the Weekly Standard, thanks so much for your time. This has been the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.